0: Ephesians chapter 5. My name is Owen and I'm also one of the pastors here at Emmaus and we are glad that you are here to worship with us. Uh, In addition to what Jim shared earlier, tonight at six o'clock we have a really great opportunity here at at Emmaus for, for you and your family and I encourage you to take advantage of this. This is a great opportunity. The Oklahoma Baptist Symphony is going to be in concert which in and of itself is an amazing, uh, amazing production. They do a great job. It's at 6 o'clock. But tonight, Jamie Smith, who is a well-known worship leader uh, in the area, and she's led worship and put albums out uh, for, for many years now. Jamie is going to be in concert with the symphony tonight. And so, 6 o'clock. Tonight, back here at Emmaus, it's a great chance for you to come with your family. This is also a good opportunity to invite people, people that just enjoy symphony, people that enjoy music, uh, who maybe know Jamie from other situations. Come back tonight at 6 o'clock, and and we'll be able to worship together in that way. Also, if you're a guest of ours, Jim mentioned that uh, Connect card, that prayer card that's in the seat back. Let me give you another thing that you can do with that Connect card Coming up in two weeks on December the 2nd, we have what's called Discover Emmaus. Discover Emmaus is a free, no obligation lunch, but it gives you a chance to meet the staff and hear some more about what's going on at the church. And so you're not signing your life away. You're not saying Emmaus is the place I'm always going to attend. But if you're curious about the church or want to know more about what's going on here or members, you have people you can bring with you. That's coming up on December 2nd, so if you'll write your name down on that card and just put lunch, we'll get you signed up for that to make sure we have, uh, we have enough food. And so I want you, to, want you to know about that coming up. All right, I want you to watch this video as we get started, and I'm going to adjust my microphone so it fits better. Watch this video as we start. Knowledge. Marriage is what brings us together today. Marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within our dreams. All right. I know I shouldn't have done that. I just couldn't help it. So uh, Princess Bride, anyone? 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 Princess Bride. All right. If you haven't seen Princess Bride, I promise you can live without it, but uh, it depends. Okay, okay, it depends. So, uh, marriage is what brings us together today, sort of, sort of. The name of Jesus is what brings us together today. The hope of the gospel is what brings us together today. But as we think about this idea of marriage and holiness within marriage— If you're jumping in the middle of this process with us at Emmaus, we've been going through a series of sermons about holiness. What does it mean to be separated from sin and dedicated to God? What does it mean to live a holy life? And so last week, we talked about holiness in relation to the single life. What does it look like to live separated from sin and dedicated to God if you're not married? In that season or stage, whether it's short-term, long-term, whatever the case, what does it look like to give yourself fully to the Lord? This week, we're gonna talk about holiness in the context of marriage. Now, just like we said last week, this is not something that only applies to you if you're in one or the other camp. If you're here this morning and you're not married, what we are talking about is a reflection of the gospel and the things that we're gonna talk about as we go along, whether you get married at some point or whether you are single your whole life, what we're gonna talk about this morning directly applies to your spiritual growth, to what it means to live a holy life. If you're a part of a church and there are only married people in the church or only families, it's easy to begin to worship family or to build up family values as the whole purpose that we gather as the church. Or if you're a part of a church and there's only singles there, you miss out on the picture of the gospel that marriage and family are meant to be. And so we want to say again this week really, really clearly that at Emmaus, we want to do both well. We want to be a place where if you're not married, you come and you experience the gift of the church of an undivided devotion to the Lord. And that if you are married, you come here not because you want to have a better family, but because you want to be a part of the family of God. You want to be on mission to see the gospel reach people that it's not reached before. And so we're gathered here talking about marriage this morning. That was terrible. I practiced that and it came out better when I practiced it. I'm so embarrassed I did that. But... Uh, we're here talking about marriage this morning, but it is way more, way more than marriage. I want you to see this quote on the screen from Jackie Hill Perry. Singleness shows us the sufficiency of the gospel. Marriage shows us the shape of the gospel. Last week I told you about Sam Alberry, who's written some amazing things about living Christian life as a single. Jackie Hill Perry is also another person who's written a lot. She's someone who has struggled with same sex attraction, has gone through this process of growing up as a follower of Jesus. She's a spoken word artist, um, does some amazing things uh, with spoken word poetry, uh, but has written a recent book. And this concept that singleness shows us the sufficiency of the gospel, that all we need is Christ. But the gift of marriage is that it shows us the shape of the gospel, what it means to come together. What does she mean? Well, she's talking about Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, starting in verse, let's start in verse 22. Some of these will be on the screen, some won't, but starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray together as we get started. Father, I know that when we talk about this topic of marriage, we come from a lot of different perspectives. God, there are people here this morning who are hurting so deeply uh, because of situations related to marriage. God, there are many who would look back at their, their home they grew up in and either did not see a good picture of marriage or maybe grew up in a situation where a parent was making their way as a single parent. So God, we bring a lot of things to the table when we talk about this. But more than anything, we want to see the picture of the good news of Jesus Christ come to light this morning. God, that when we talk about marriage, we're able to see a small picture of what you want to do in and through our lives and what you want to do in and through your church. So, God, I pray that you would show us that this morning in a fresh way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, look back there in Ephesians 5 and verse 32. Because this is a pretty, if you just think about it, a pretty radical, crazy idea here. Verse 32, this mystery... Talking about the mystery of marriage, which has just been reflected in the previous verse, comes from Genesis chapter 2. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What this means is that when we talk about marriage, marriage is not primarily about marriage. Marriage. Marriage is primarily meant to point to the good news of Jesus. This gospel word that we sometimes throw around in church and people say, what do you mean by gospel? Gospel is the good news, recognizing that we are more sinful than we could ever imagine, more broken than we could ever imagine, but that God's grace and love and forgiveness is greater and more powerful than we can ever imagine. And so we don't earn his salvation. We don't buy his salvation We are not born into this. This is something that he does within us to take away the guilt and the shame and the sin and to give us new life. This is the hope that we have, and that hope is meant to be reflected in a small way in the picture of marriage. So when we talk about marriage this morning, we are primarily talking about something that's meant to point us to Jesus. Look at these quotes just for a second on the screen from Russell Moore. Russell Moore is a Southern Baptist author and, and uh, leader, and he's written a book recently about marriage. He says, marriage doesn't have to solve everything or be everything, so it sets us free to see it as a gift, not a God. He goes on in the next part of that, and he says, Jesus is not the means to the end of a good family. Don't, don't miss this living in the suburbs of Oklahoma in the 21st century. We don't get Jesus so we can have a better family. That's not the purpose. This is not the goal of the gospel. Do we hope that you have a better family as a result of following Jesus? Absolutely we do. That's one of the great gifts of seeking to be part of the church, but that's not the ultimate goal. Family, though, can be the means to the end of knowing and serving Jesus. And Look what Russell says at the end. We will find joy and peace and wholeness in our marriages when we stopped expecting marriage to meet all our needs and start finding contentment in the gospel. Some of the frustration that people have with marriage comes from the fact that they're expecting marriage to do for them what only Jesus can do for them. And this is true as well when you're single. If I was just married, then I would find this peace and joy and wholeness that I yearn for. No, we realize that's not true. That's found in Jesus because equally, you can be married and still yearn for that peace and joy and wholeness that only comes through Jesus. How is this reflected in Ephesians 5? Well, you skip down to Ephesians 5, and you look there in verse 26. Or actually, in verse 25, let's start there. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Just a quick stop there, because we probably need this reminder. Once again, suburbs, Oklahoma, 21st century. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Don't get caught in the trap of saying, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. How does Jesus view the church? He loved the church and died for the church. Christianity is not an individual sport. It's not something that Jesus just loves me and I do this on my own. This is we are brought into the people of God. Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, verse 26, for what purpose? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. This idea of being cleansed to be made pure there's some discrepancy about what is meant by water in this verse. Is it talking about baptism? It it could be. It could be talking about baptism as that picture of the forgiveness and the washing that Christ brings into our life. The term water here can also refer just to the work of the Holy Spirit. So it could be a specific indication of the work of baptism, or more generally, it could be a reference to the work of the Holy Spirit, and and by the word means the word of God, the good news of the gospel that you believe and bring into your life. And so Jesus makes us clean. He sanctifies us. If you don't know the word sanctify, that word just means set apart, made holy. So the picture of marriage is that we are set apart, to one another. We are devoted to one another. This is why when we talk about sexual intimacy, that it's not for before marriage or outside of marriage, it's for marriage because we have been set apart for one another. In the same way that we are devoted to a spouse, in the same way we're devoted to the spouse, we are to be set apart and devoted to the things of Christ. And so we are made clean, we are made holy by the work of God in our lives. What does this mean for us at Emmaus? How does this impact the way that we live as a church? When we talk about marriage, it's about pointing people to Jesus. Here's the goal that I put on your notes if you got one of those little half sheets of, of paper. The goal for Emmaus is that we would be focused on the preparation and establishment of marriages, that we would train and position experienced couples to prepare new couples for marriage that we would utilize groups and mentors to establish couples in their new marriage. I hope that when people in our area think about marriage, they say, I can go there, and they'll show me what that looks like. That we become marriage you. We become a place where people want to learn about and be established in their marriages. They say, I can go there because one, they're gonna help me get started in my marriage, and two, they're gonna point me to Jesus. Now people may come to us first because they need help with marriage. Marriage is one of the last things in our culture that people will still come to the church for help with. Very, very few things are left like that. But if people have questions about marriage, they still feel like I can go to the church and ask them questions even if I'm not a religious person. And so what we wanna do is we wanna be in a position to care for those people. We want to be in a position to minister to those new couples to help them get started on the right foot in marriage. Why? Because it's a wide open door to share the gospel. When we sit down to talk with someone who's thinking about marriage, the very beginning of that conversation is marriage is meant to reflect the good news of Jesus. Let me share this with you. And it becomes an opportunity for them to say, my marriage is not just about this other person I'm looking to be connected with in life. It's about much more than I ever imagined. I came looking for help with my marriage and I left finding Jesus. What an incredible opportunity we have in Emmaus to be able to live out that vision. Because when we do that, it builds relationships. Um, Dating is really hard. Couple dating is really, really hard. Um, so when you get married or you start to become a part of, of a relationship, it's not just like one of you has to like the other person. Now you have two people who need to like another two, and so you guys know how this works? Like, you and your spouse, you go out with somebody, and and your your wife tries to set your couple up with another couple that you guys are going to spend time with, and then the wives are loving it, and the guys are just awkward. Like, it just it's just not happening. Like, uh, Wives, you can't imagine how much we struggle in those situations of couple dating, of knowing that like we need to like the other guy because you like the other lady and we're trying to make it work and it's just not working. And so when you are brought into a situation that someone says, hey, I care for you. I want to invest in your relationship and I want to point you to Jesus. Relationships are built out of that and you're able to change generations. Think about A couple who lives across the road, across Western Avenue from Emmaus. They're going to get married. And let's just be real. Let's cut to the chase. They've been living together for a long time, but they want to get married. And they say, I know there's a church building across the road. Haven't been there. Haven't thought about it in a long time. I'm going to get married. We should go over there. They come. They hear the gospel. They get connected with other young couples. Their grandparents live far away from this area, but they come into a church and they find couples that they can trust like they would their grandparents. They get married. That doesn't change just one household, does it? That changes neighborhoods. That changes communities. That changes generations. And it's not just, hey, we want to help you have a better marriage so you can get their life. It's the God of the universe created you, and the God of the universe loves you, and he is going to change your life and your marriage from the inside out in ways that you can never imagine. I want to be a part of something like that. And I believe that you guys want to be a part of something like that, and that God would lead us to say this is about more than about just marriage. This is about the power of the gospel to change people's lives and to change families and to change generations. But we also realize you don't solve all the problems in the first few weeks of marriage. Uh, That those things that you run into early in marriage, that there's so much more to come. And so it's not just about getting started, it's about this ongoing growth. Look back again, if you would, in verse 26. It says there that Christ would sanctify her, sanctify the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now, we've talked several times through this series about how the word sanctify can sometimes speak to a one-time completed reality, made holy in Christ. Other times, though, sanctification has to do with this ongoing growth, this ongoing development. What does that look like here in regard to marriage? We'll skip back to verse 18 just for a second. If you have access to the Bible on your phone or in front of you, look back just for a second. If you look at the very end of verse 18, it's going to say, be filled with the Spirit. We trip on this marriage passage in Ephesians 5 because we forget what it connects back to. There's this larger stream of thought that's been at work. So Paul says, be filled with the Spirit at the end of verse 18. And he continues to talk about what that looks like down to verse 21 where he says be filled with the Holy Spirit, that means you will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Skip down to verse 28. In the same way, remember what it said earlier, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Okay, here's the temptation. Here's the lesson that comes from this. Marriage is ultimately about our holiness not our happiness, but we live, and and let's just confess this true of ourselves as well, we live in such an individualistic world that when something no longer makes us happy or when something no longer meets our immediate needs or no longer hits us where we think that we need that, that help, we step away from it. This relationship, this friendship, this church isn't making me happy, I'll just go somewhere else. As opposed to thinking about God is more concerned with my holiness, my becoming like Christ, than he is with my happiness. Now, you say, Owen, you don't have a clue the situation that I'm in right now. And you're absolutely right. I I don't. And if it is a dangerous situation, or if it is a situation where you need help, we will absolutely do everything we can to help you. But what I'm speaking to is this idea that we build up within our culture and even within the church that if something's not making me happy, I just go to somewhere else. One of the gifts of marriage is that you've been bonded together in such a way that you are called to work through those things, not go around them. And as you work through those things, you begin to grow in your faith, to you begin to grow in your relationship with the Lord because you're working through them together, realizing the reason God's placed me here is because He desires that I would grow in holiness. And a lot of the times we grow in holiness when things get really hard. Because let's be honest, nothing exposes your pride and your weaknesses like marriage. Nothing exposes those weaknesses within your soul or all the junk and baggage that you bring from previous growing up experiences like being in marriage. And, and if you're preparing for marriage or you're thinking about marriage, let me encourage you to avoid the thought that says he or she is just like this now, but when we get married, they'll change. Marriage does not eliminate weaknesses. Marriage magnifies weaknesses. So all those things you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, when we get married, that will go away. Uh, it will not. Can I just assure you? In fact, it will get bigger and harder and more difficult than, than you can ever imagine. So where does Paul take us here? Where, where do we find happening here? Back in verse 22, you get some language that's pretty tough. Um, and Amanda reminded me this week, Owen, this language is hard for ladies to hear, uh, especially if you've come from a difficult background. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself it's Savior. And then down in verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What is the path laid out here for growing in holiness? It's submission and love. Now, there's a lot of things to be untangled in those concepts and those verses. We can't do it all this morning, but I want to do a couple of things that might be helpful. First on the concept of submission. Submission. When you see that phrase, wives submit to your husbands, what's going on there? Well, remember this. This is given in the context, one, of submission to the Lord. So ultimate submission always goes to the Lord. Number two, verse 21 has already said that you submit to one another. So wives submit to husbands is already coming out of husbands and wives as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, submitting to one another. And this whole concept of submission is more about support than it is authority. It's not this idea of wife, tell me what to do. That's disgusting and ungodly. That's not, wife, tell me what to do. That didn't come out right, did it? No, no. Wife do this, wife tell me what to do is perfect. I mean, that's how I, that's how I roll. I had a feeling when that came out that was not right. So, uh, wife do this, a husband saying wife do this, that's what's ungodly and inappropriate. This idea of submission, if I could sum it up in, in a couple of ideas, it's wife be the champion for your husband, be his supporter. What it speaks against is any type of manipulation, any type of embarrassment. Any type of manipulation or any type of embarrassment. One of the things that always keys me in that there may be something wrong going on in a marriage is when the wife embarrasses her husband in public. One of the things I love, love, love about my wife is that she goes out of the way not to do that. Is she funny? Yeah. Do we talk, are we sarcastic? Yeah. But to know that she supports and protects me in those situations is huge. And so wife submit to your husbands means you're not going to manipulate, you're not going to subvert, you're not going to embarrass that there is this incredible protection and support and love that's provided there. Husband, love your wife. If there's one phrase that could sum up that, it's the idea of responsibility. When it says the husband is to be the head of the wife, there's a lot of controversy about that. What what type of leadership is that talking about? It's talking about responsibility. That you're not passive, but you're not domineering. You're willing to take responsibility. And how do you love your wife? You love your wife as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He died for her. He gave up his life for her. So this is laying down my rights. This is laying down my preferences and this is saying I'm going to serve you, I'm going to lead you, and I am going to take responsibility. And one really, really specific way you can do this husbands, is support your wife's spiritual growth. So husbands, ask yourself the question, what am I doing to actively support my wife's spiritual growth? Is it just about me making sure I'm growing spiritually or am I actively involved in supporting my wife's spiritual growth? What are some other ways that you can can kind of grow in this? Well, our goal as a church is this. It's the enrichment and the restoration of marriages. That we are consistently encouraging couples to grow in faith and that we're building a culture of trust that allows hurting couples to seek help and find peace in a place of hope. How do you live this out? Couples, you need to be a part of a group with other couples who can encourage and support you. You need to pray together. I would encourage you as husband and wife to pray together. A a suggestion and maybe uh, just a word of caution, if you're dating or engaged, I also think that it's good that you begin to build that process of praying together. The word of caution, and this is a good caution, it's a good gift, spiritual intimacy is tied to physical intimacy. It's good as a dating, engaged couple to pray together. Realize, though, spiritual intimacy can lead to physical intimacy, and so you need to be aware of the impact that that has. But You, want to build, you don't want to get married and it feels awkward to pray with one another. You want to be married and say, My greatest gift is to pray with you, to pray for you, to hear you pray out loud, both husband and wife. And so you build that into your dating relationship, but you're aware of the relationship between spiritual and and physical intimacy. Another thing to do is to include others as part of your family. One of the ways you grow spiritually is when it's not just you, it's not just a closed bubble. You're including unmarried friends, you're including other couples, that your home is a place of hospitality. Uh, couples who serve together, doing ministry together, the spiritual growth that can happen there. There's so many opportunities that, that come from this. What about when the marriage isn't good? What do you do when things are, are broken and, and hurting? There's a quote up here. I know you've been able to see it behind me for a while. But this quote from C.S. Lewis where he says, Friendship is born At the moment when one person says to another, What? You too? I love that quote about friendship. Friendships are born when you're able to look at someone and say, You too. That can't happen when we try to hold everything together on the outside and inwardly we're falling apart. How do you begin to find restoration and hope in a relationship and a marriage? One of the first places is you just have to reach out and say, hey, we need help. And that's really, really hard to do. What we want to do at Emmaus, and and we don't do this perfectly, but what we want to do is we want to build a culture of trust. We want to build a culture where people say, I don't have it all together, and when I go there, I don't have to pretend like I have it all together. There are people around there that I trust And I know I can go to them and say, I'm hurting. I don't know what to do, but I know you're going to care for me. I know you can't fix all my problems, but at least you'll walk with me through these challenges. And so this is where we come together and we support one another. And one of the hardest parts of this reality is the story doesn't always end the way we want it to. But what you've done in those situations is you've connected yourself with other people who care about you. So when the story doesn't go the way you want you're not left alone, that you have people who love you and will be with you and will pray for you and will carry you through whatever that situation looks like. And so, how does restoration of marriage happen? It happens as a gift of the church, that we are gathered together, caring for one another, walking with one another through these hard times, and that we can be that type of place. Are we always going to do that perfectly? No. But why is the church able to do that? Because we believe in the power of the gospel. We believe that marriage is not built on perfection, it's built on forgiveness. We believe that our greatest hope is not in another person, it's in Jesus. And so when we have that type of foundation, when we have that type of message, we're able to meet someone at a point of need and not tell them, hey, if you can get yourself together, I bet we can help you. We're saying, no, 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 this is the time that Jesus comes to you, is right now. And so before we go on to the last point and wrap up, Let me just say this, if you are at a place where your marriage is hurting, where you're at a place where everybody looks at you on the outside and says, man, they must have it all together, and you go home and it's not all together, do not go through that experience alone. That there are people who love you and care about you, the gift of relationships, because whatever you're going through, I guarantee you, you can look at somebody else and they're going to say, you too? You you have challenges as well? Yeah, yeah, we do. We also know a great Savior who teaches us about forgiveness and who teaches us about hope. And here's the other part of marriage not being ultimate. And hear me out so you don't misunderstand what I'm going to say. Because it points to that third point that we're going to make. Marriage is not ultimate because marriage is not eternal. Marriage is is a good gift from God for this world so we can show the shape of the gospel. But even when that marriage doesn't go the way you want, that does not ultimately determine your standing before the Lord. We hate the pain of divorce. We hate what that looks like. But that does not change the love of the Father for you. That does not change the hope of where all this is pointing because where is marriage ultimately pointing? It's pointing to Revelation Chapter 19, verse 9. If you guys would bring it up Revelation 19, verse 9. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. That idea of looking ahead to the future, it's reflected as well in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. What's the purpose of Christ sanctifying the church? Verse 27, Ephesians 5 says, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. One other verse from Revelation that gives us this reality is Revelation 21, verse 2, where John has this vision. He said, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Here's what marriage allows us to do. A marriage allows us right now to show people the good news of Jesus Christ. But it also does this. It helps us anticipate the internal, eternal enjoyment of the church with Christ. That one day there will be a great marriage, That all of God's people will participate in. And it's not the marriage of two people with one another, but it's the marriage of Christ with his church. This perfect unity that will exist for all of eternity in peace, in joy, and hope. So if you're married right now, live to show people the good news of Jesus. And if you're not married right now, show people what it looks like to be content in Christ. Show people what it looks like to anticipate the eternal life that God has promised his people. What can you do specifically as a result of this morning's message? Here's a couple of things and we're going to wrap up. Number one, be very, very careful how you speak about marriage. This counts for both. Let let me just highlight here. I know this pertains to everybody. Let me highlight this. If you are single and if you're a dude, um, all right? Sometimes if we're not careful, we get caught up in this like peer culture thing and everybody else is speaking badly about marriage or everybody else is speaking badly about their spouse and we get caught up in that. That is a terrible, terrible, terrible witness for the gospel. One of the greatest things you can do in that situation is say, man, marriage is hard sometimes, isn't it? But can I tell you, why I think marriage is so important. Now, you're going to get called a prude, and you're going to call it all kinds of things, but, but don't miss, don't miss the chance to point people to Jesus in that situation. Everybody else speaks badly about marriage. You uphold the beauty of marriage in, in that situation, and, and singles, you can help us in that, in that situation. How you talk about marriage as a single person says a lot about what you believe about the good news, the good news of Jesus. Number two is that you would be willing not to live in isolation. That you would be willing to care for the people around you. That it's not just about my marriage or my home, it's how can God use us to impact others. That when you come into a room like this, that you are sitting with others and you care about them. You care about their marriage, you care about what's going on in their home. If you are a single person, if you're unmarried, you care deeply about the married people around you. you say, I want your marriage to be strong. Tell me what I can do to promote that. And then finally, it's at the end of the day, everything we do is about pointing people to Jesus because we're going to let one another down. We're going to struggle. Our marriages are not always going to be a perfect picture of the gospel, but we know who we're pointing people to, and that's Jesus. The one who will never let us down, the one who is ultimately able to save, and the one who is always worthy of our worship. Would you bow your heads right now? We're going to pray together. We're going to have a chance here in just a moment to, to stand and sing a song about the faithfulness of Christ, about the hope that he brings but let me invite you to be very specific at this this point in the service. If God would lead you at this time, I pray that you would use it as an opportunity to care for the people around you, that you would pray for couples who are around you. Maybe you don't feel comfortable actually walking over to them and praying for them, But maybe you know a marriage that is hurting right now, and and you could pray for them right where you are. Maybe during this time, whether you are single or married, you would realize that you've been focused on marriage instead of on Jesus. You've been desiring marriage, or you've been worshiping your marriage, but you've missed the focus on Christ. If we can pray for you during this time, we want to be able to do that. If you are ready to respond to the gospel and say, I don't have it all together, but I believe that Jesus is the one who is able to save and make me right, that you would respond. Let us pray with you and for you. If you're here this morning and you're hurting because of marriage, know that we love you. Know that the God of the universe is with you and for you. And we declare that what we are experiencing now is not the end of the story. That there is hope and joy and peace and marriage to come that goes beyond anything we could ever imagine. And so God, we want to live faithfully now as your people We want to speak differently and live differently so that people would be drawn to Christ. And God, we want to be your church, loving and caring for those around us. God, let us sing, let us pray, let us give ourselves as your people. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.